How's it going, my fellow history scholars? Welcome to the podcast where we talk about the unanswered questions of history and unravel the mystery of the many questions we ask about our past. Before we begin, I would like to remind you guys that the Facebook page is out, and don't forget to check that for information on the episodes as well as to ask questions and to stay up to date on information concerning the podcast. Uh, Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by donating on Anchor, the awesome podcast server we use to make all of these episodes possible. And then three in the end, we are going to give some shout outs to those of you who have already liked the Facebook page, and we thank you for the growth that we've already seen. It's been it's been pretty good. Uh, I think we got 40 of you guys that have subscribed so far, so that's pretty good. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about the major pandemics through history. And uh, interestingly enough, many ancient societies actually believe some of these plagues were caused by the spirits of the gods that inflicted these diseases and brought destruction upon those who deserved their wrath. In doing so, it often led to disastrous responses that resulted in the death of several thousands, if not millions of people. And this is the problem today, and we'll talk about the coronavirus later, is uh, all the people that are panicking. If you if you panic and uh, you worry about it too much, you're going to you're going to bring more trouble to yourself than the plague itself. And we'll see that with the Black Plague, too. They did that during that as well. It's the panic aspect that makes it 10 times worse. Um, We figured this episode would be perfect for all of you guys who have been cooped up inside due to the coronavirus and uh, to give you some background on the major pandemics through history. And then uh, we're going to talk about the coronavirus itself actually today as well. Um, All right. And then let's get into the plague of Justinian. All right, let's talk about the Plague of Justinian. Uh, this one's very interesting because it was kind of like a precursor to the Black Plague and then the, the Third Plague after that. So this one, uh, it was one of the earliest as well as one of the worst pandemics in history. So the Plague of Justinian was a, a pandemic that afflicted the Byzantine Empire, and we talked about them a little bit in the Knights Templar episode, I believe. So you guys might remember some background on them. And uh, especially its capital, Constantinople. Um, it also affected the Sassanian Empire or the late Persian Empire, as well as port cities around the entire Mediterranean Sea. So this was a very European-based disease or Eastern European. Uh, DNA actually suggests that the origin of the Justinian plague came from Central Asia and uh, that this arose from the expansion of nomadic peoples who moved across Eurasia, such as the late Huns from Mongolia. Uh, they especially had a role in spreading the plague to uh, Western Eurasia from its origin in Central Asia. So you guys uh, may be feeling, be familiar with the Huns. I uh, heard the name uh, Attila the Hun. That's uh, that's these guys from Mongolia. They had uh, spread across all of Asia and uh, doing so. And uh, with all their trade networks, they were able to sp- spread this disease to uh, far off places like the Eastern European Empire of the Byzantines. So the plague of Justinian is generally regarded as the first historically recorded epidemic based on historical descriptions of the disease and its detection in human remains at ancient grave sites dating to that period. Uh, But according to contemporary sources, the outbreak in Constantinople was thought to have been carried to the city by infected rats on grain ships arriving from Egypt. So later, that should sound a little bit familiar, these infected rats on ships. Because uh, this occurred in the Black Plague as well. That's how this one, the Black Plague, and uh, the Third Plague all spread their disease. These, uh, these, yeah, these terrible rats that were on these ships that would, uh, that would spread it to humans. So not only was it was it a human disease, but it was also it also affected animals as well. And we'll see that with Wasn't the Black there, Plague too. I recall there being a symbol of the the flea as well. Wasn't the rats carried the fleas and the fleas carried the disease yeah i think like the fleas fed off the rats or something and then they they spread it to the humans so it's really disgusting in the way that this spread to yeah um all right where were we uh because of all this it has been assumed by some that the plague of justinian may have actually been a precursor to the black plague so it's pretty interesting um, the Byzantine historian of the time, uh, 
Procopius, if I can get that name right, probably butchered it. Uh, he first reported the epidemic in 541 while at the port of Pelusium near the Suez in Egypt. If you guys are familiar with the Suez, it's along that Sinai Peninsula by Egypt. You can look it up on a map. Um, two other first-hand reports were by the Syriac church historian John of Ephesus and Evagrius Galacticus. Oh, geez. I really don't like these Byzantine names. <laughs> God, could you imagine uh, being like in kindergarten and trying to spell a name like that? <laughs> like the spelling bee? Yeah. Spell <laughs> spell your last name. Oh, oh shoot. <laughs> Scholasticus. <laughs> um, Evagrius was actually impacted by the disease after developing bubos associated with the disease. So they were these really nasty bumps that would develop on your skin. And if you actually, if you pop them, it'd make it 10 times worse where uh, like the stuff yeah. out of these bulbos would spread and go to the rest of your body. It's really disgusting stuff. Uh, and then uh, in the Black Plague, I'll talk about that later, but some of these bulbos got really big and really disgusting. Um, he managed to survive, but after the the disease's four returns in his lifetime. So not only did he get it once, but he got it four other times as well. God, this guy really didn't have good luck. Uh, and on top of that, he lost his wife, daughter, and her child. So, man, this guy really got it. And then uh, other children as well. And most of his servants died uh, at his country estate. Jeez really sucks but hey if you're rich enough to have a country estate you got something going for you at least <laughs> uh, i don't know if that's worth it but hey. yeah. <laughs> um at its peak the plague killed ten thousand people a day in constantinople and the body count got so high that there was no room to bury the dead and bodies were left stacked in the open Really disgusting. 10,000 people a day. I can't even imagine. Uh, Sycamore probably doesn't even have 10,000 people. How much? How many people do you think live in our town of Sycamore? Oh, Sycamore? Itself? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. Actually, I think it's like, might be around 10,000. No, definitely not. No, I think it's like a couple thousand. Like 3,000, I bet. So that's like our entire town, or plus, dying in a day. In constant yeah, like and like two or three of our towns in one day. That's crazy to think about. Oh my god. Wow. And they had no room to bury the dead, so they just stood in piles on the streets. Jeez. Could you imagine walking down the streets of Constantinople and then you just look to your left or right and you see a giant pile of bodies just rotting? But I think jobs were made to get rid of the bodies. Yeah. But with 10,000 a day, that was not an easy job, if you had to imagine. And they just spread the disease around even more. When they, like, would wheelbarrow, like, dead bodies around, right? Yeah, right. I, I would imagine so, at least, if you were carrying all these dead bodies and taking care of all these dead bodies, that it wouldn't be too hard to get it yourself. Yeah. Uh, funeral rites were often left unattended, and the entire city smelled like the dead. Jeez. So some of these guys don't even get funerals. They, yeah, a lot of them, I'm sure. Too they many bodies. To yeah, and not enough money because the economy is also being destroyed by this plague. Oh, yeah. Um, the plague killed around 40% of the inhabitants in Constantinople and caused the death of up to a quarter of the human population occupying the eastern Mediterranean. So a quarter of the Mediterranean population and 40% of the people in Constantinople. But if they're dying 10,000 a day and that's only 40%, I actually wonder how huge the population of Constantinople had to be then. Wow. Because this, yeah. this disease took a few years. So 10,000 people a day and it only took out 40%, which is still a decent amount. But, geez. I, I, can... I mean, that's at its peak, though. So, I mean, that's still insane, though. Yeah, the population of Constantinople had to be huge then. Yeah, probably like millions. Uh, in the countryside, farmers could not even take care of crops, and the price of grain rose. 
Life was hard in the cities, especially because of how easily the disease could spread, uh, especially in Constantinople. And it didn't help the fact that during this time, Justinian was also spending large amounts of money fighting wars against the Vandals in Carthage and the Ostrogoths kingdom of, in Italy. Justinian also spent money to build grand churches like the Iosophia. I think we uh, mentioned the Iosophia in the Templar episode with the Fourth Crusade when they sacked Constantinople, where uh, Enrico Dandolo is buried in the Iosophia. Yeah. Um, but geez, uh, even, uh, even the countryside. So the countryside was really isolated. You imagine countryside now, but countryside back then was a lot, a lot more isolated than it is today. Uh, we don't really even have true isolation like the people back then had in the 500s. And, yeah, I mean, we got, we got travel. We have so much more advanced travel. Like, back then, the only way they could have gotten it is if, like, someone from the city had traveled out there by foot or by uh, wagon or something. Yeah, exactly. So this disease really had to try hard to spread, and it, it definitely did do so. If they uh, they couldn't even take care of the crops, and uh, I we talked about life in the cities, I think a little bit, but oh yeah, if you were in Constantinople, I would be, I, I would say get the heck out of there. <laughs> cities are not the place to be in uh, times of pandemics or diseases. And then, uh, like we we're saying, just spent Justinian spent large amounts of money fighting wars against the Vandals. So uh, in the beginning, he wasn't even helping the disease. He was just letting it spread because he was more worried about fighting these wars. And uh, all the money that he could have used to uh, try to stop this pandemic was being used to to fight these wars that ultimately uh, wouldn't even be important. And we'll talk about those later. Wow. So they just let it spread. So that, no wonder it got so huge. Yeah, no kidding. Um, eventually, Justinian would realize the effect of the plague, uh, realize the effect the plague was having, and he acted quickly, creating new legislation that would deal more efficiently with the glut of inheritance suite suits, and uh, uh, inheritance suits being brought as a result of victims dying out of state. So, uh, inheritance was a huge problem too. Tons and tons of people were dying every day. Ten thousand people a day. So there were all these uh, inheritance from parents and grandparents that needed to be dealt with. And uh, some of them couldn't even be dealt with until Justinian made this legislation. Uh, so he, he eventually did get wise uh, after the fighting the wars and realizing how bad it was, he finally started doing stuff with this legislation. But uh, this won't, this really didn't even stop it either because he was more worried about uh, what uh, property and items and stuff are going to uh, descend in this, instead of trying to stop the plague itself. The plague weakened the Byzantine Empire in a very critical point with Justinian's wars. The Byzantine Empire had nearly taken, uh, had nearly retaken all of Italy and the Western Mediterranean, and would have reunited the core of the Western Roman Empire with the Eastern Roman Empire if the plague didn't hit. So we we're talking about those wars earlier. Uh, the Roman Empire had split up between the Latin Christendom and the Byzant the Byzantines or the Eastern. Christians. And uh, we talked about that a little bit in the Knights Templar episode as well. Uh, but Justinian almost reconquered both of these. Latins and the Byzantines were almost one people in one empire again. Uh, and I'd only seen that during the during the Roman Empire under people like uh, Julius Caesar. He almost was able to do that, but the, the plague came and he wasn't able to. Um. However, because of the plague in 568, the Lombards were able to invade northern Italy, and uh, they defeated the Byzantine Empire and established the Kingdom of the Lombards. So uh, they failed here in their campaign against northern Italy. Uh, um, that was another reason they weren't able to reunite the entire empire. So not only did it play uh, roles in... Uh, the economy and uh, social and political life, but it also played roles in uh, in the military aspect of this as well. I can imagine a ton of these soldiers were also dying, and uh, that probably didn't help either. Oh yeah, I'm sure it spread quickly on the battlefield as well. 
So if you didn't die from uh, if you didn't die from warfare, you could have died from getting this plague. Yeah, I mean, the plague was fighting the the majority of the war, wasn't it? <laughs> what? Oh, the plague, the plague was. Yeah, right. Fighting the majority of the war. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but that actually that kind of brought up some irony with the black plague later. So yeah, uh, there you go. The, the plague was a uh, plague was an ally in some of these in some of these warfares as well as well as being a an enemy. The the enemy of my enemy is my friend though. So <laughs> ultimately, the plague of Justinian was important, and it was one of the worst plagues in history. Because it severely crippled the Byzantine Empire and uh, may have even been the precursor to the Black Plague in the 14th century. So this one was uh, very important. It was one of the worst, uh, one of the earliest and one of the worst epidemics and plagues uh, in history. So this yeah. one was very important. And then uh, it may have brought about the Black Plague, especially considering that they were both spread by rats and fleas. That may have been a... That may have been the way that they were connected. Yeah, I mean, and, and these diseases, they uh, develop and adapt. So after they wipe out one population, it might move to the next in a different, new adapted way. Exactly. All right. Now that we've done Justinian's plague, let's get into the Black Plague. All right. Let's talk about the Black Plague. The Black Plague was like uh, a descendant of Justinian's plague in a sense. Um, the Black Plague is one of the worst plagues in history. Uh, I'm sure a ton of you guys have heard about this one. Uh, yeah. should be very familiar with this one. I, uh, I did an I did a, a English uh, project on this one. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, we presented on it, and um, it, it was, there was no short to get a, a lot of eyes on us. It's a very interesting uh, oh, period yeah. of time. You can read hours and days on this topic. Yeah. I actually remember, uh, I remember, uh, I was a teacher's assistant for a world history class back in high school. And, uh, we actually did a, a project with the kids where we, where we made like a, we set up a mock Europe and they, they went around and they picked out like these beans from, uh, these bags. And if they got a black, bean they died from the black plague and by the end uh almost all of the class had gotten the black plague and died and they all got these uh they got these uh like jolly roger sticker things and they handed them out and say like oh i got the black plague today that is hilarious <laughs> that was fun i like that activity all right now let's get into the history <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, the Black Plague can very much be seen as an offshoot of the Justinian's Plague and the fact that they were both spread by fleas and were a result of expanding trade. Both were terrible diseases that would ravage Europe and ultimately change the culture in which they infested. So not only did they affect the people, but they affected society itself. And it was something that society remembered very easily and... Uh, it's actually reflected in our culture today, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's a there's stuff that hints at the Black Plague today, even in our own culture. We teach our we teach some of our kids about the Black Plague, which without even knowing it, and we'll get into that. Um, the Black Plague had arrived in the mid 1300s, arriving in Europe specifically in uh, October of 1347, and this was after 12 ships from the Black Sea had docked at the Sicilian port of Messina. The disease had come from Casa, a town being fought by the Mongols and the Christians at this time. So we're talking about the Mongols with uh, the Justinian plague. The Mongols are also played a very important part in spreading the Black Plague as well. Um, and this is because supposedly the Mongols who had been uh, suffering from the plague and uh, they had been spreading it through uh, Asia they had uh, taken some of their dead bodies at this battle, and they flung the dead bodies over the wall on these giant catapults into the into the Christian fortifications, so that the, all the Christians would die from getting the disease. Like, yeah, this was like one of the earliest signs of chemical warfare slash biological warfare. Yeah, this is this is brutal. I can't even imagine just 
All right, shoot him over the wall. If we can't break through the wall, we'll just uh, we'll throw some of our dead bodies over there, and then they'll then they'll die one way or another. Oh. <laughs> Such a horrific thing to do. Yeah, jeez, these Mongols were were a brutal tribe. We could probably talk about them at a later time, but the Mongols were uh, Mongols were very interesting. Uh, this was uh, yeah, like you were saying, the, one of the first chemical or biological warfare actions ever taken probably so after the ships had docked in messina the people were horrified to see most of the sailors aboard were dead and those that were still alive were gravely ill covered in black boils that were oozing with blood and pus this would become known as the fleet of death ships and it would result in the death of over 20 million people i think i have to open my mouth a little bit yeah right <laughs> Black boils with the blood and pus. Oh, that sounds that sounds delicious. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Jeez. That's that's terrible. I can't even imagine getting getting this. This just sounds disgusting. I couldn't even imagine actually having it. I know. I can't I can't imagine what it would be like to go through something like that. Yeah. And uh, imagine being some of the sailors that were uh, that were on the ship, and you didn't even make it to your destination. The boat—I bet the boat probably like almost half drifted into the into the dock because all the men were already dying. Jeez! And uh, you're you're expecting all these uh, all these great goods from a far off land and uh, some stuff that you could use to trade, and then you just open the ship and you see a ton of dead bodies all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure like they. What what could they do with the bodies besides like either throw them overboard or put them under the deck? Yeah, well, even just touching them alone and the ship and the fact that the ship even just made it into the dock, yeah, it was inevitable that Europe would get this. Pretty much, yeah. I don't think there was a way that they could really stop this from spreading to Europe. I mean, yeah, I mean they didn't have any uh, the right medical technology. And Jesus, 20 million people. What, what was even the total population back then? That's got to be a large percentage. Yeah, right. If uh, 20 million people died, that's either got to be like a huge percentage of the population or there were a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, the Italian poet, Bosicio, sorry, I didn't put that in there. Uh, he reported at the time that at the beginning of the melody, certain swelling either in the groin or under the armpits waxed to the bigness of a common apple or others to the size of an egg some more some less and these the vulgar and these the vulgar named plague boils so these are the bulbos that we were talking about jeez that description's just terrible oh god icky <laughs> <laughs> that's so gross it developed under the croiner armpits so it's already super uncomfortable and uh Imagine having a one of those as big as an apple just chilling on your arm. Oh my god. Oh. Jeez. And popping them would make it worse, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. That that spread it. That, oh, that would make it worse. And some some other ones, the size of an egg, that's smaller, but I still couldn't even I don't even think I could stand that. That no, sounds terrible I... too in itself. Yeah. Oh my god. And once you had once you had these, this was this was beyond any by beyond any point of return. Oh yeah. So the symptoms of the plague included fever, chills, vomiting, diarrhea, terrible aches and pains. Uh, most notably, the black bulbos that we talked about, and then eventually death. So uh, this was a very dark reality. Um, all of that sounds terrible in itself, but the fact that you get these black bulbos uh, and then you ultimately just die. Um, later on, some of these people would realize that they'd have this disease and they they wouldn't even bother going to a doctor because they knew they'd just die. There wasn't really wow. anything they could do to stop it. And then uh, the dark reality, reality of this disease was that if you got the plague, you could expect everybody else who you knew to die from it as well. So if you got it, you not only screwed yourself, but you screwed everybody you know as well. There was a there was a saying from a from a professor that I was uh, reading about who knew some stuff about the Black Plague, and he said that uh, if you sneezed on your daughter, uh, she was gonna die the next day. Oh my goodness! 
what's terrible. And then uh, Boccaccio, uh, he's like our Italian poet that'll guide us through the Black Plague. He said that the mere touching of clothes appeared to itself to communicate the malady to the toucher. So even if you were perfectly healthy, you could ultimately die from it in your sleep. You could uh, you could barely have a graze with it, and then you could go to sleep and never wake up again. That's terrible. Times. I just, I can't imagine what the best course of action would even be. Would it just be to like isolate yourself from anything and anyone? But even then, what what life is that? Yeah, exactly. And uh, even isolating yourself, I, that was an easy task either. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're in this big city with like thousands, millions of people, and everyone's got it. You want to get a uh, get a little bit closer to the speaker and speak a little louder. You're, oh, my you're a little soft in that I, end. I mean, I just can't imagine what it would be like to 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 like to even attempt to isolate yourself. I mean, you're already in this big population. I mean, almost everyone has it. It's like only a matter of time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the disease had such an impact. That we can actually see it in the presence, uh, see its presence in our culture today, and this is what I was talking about teaching your kids about it without even knowing it. You ever, you ever heard the song "Ring Around the Rosie" when you were little? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> well, it has a, it has a darker meaning. Ring around the Rosie, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's in, uh, that's in relation to the plague. So the ring around the rosy, I think, is in reference to the bulbos. Uh, people aren't sure what the pocketful of posy is. Uh, there's uh, some speculation that it may have been uh, religious objects or talismans that they'd keep in their pocket, praying to uh, God that they'd uh, hopefully get rid of it. And then uh, the ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> there I mean, you I go, kids. I had a darker meaning, but... <laughs> There you go, kids. Ruin your childhood. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I think there's a there's a ton of other stuff like this too that you've been taught as kids, and then you realize it later down in life, and you're like, oh, well, crap. Why did I learn that when I was little? <laughs> yeah, everyone's childhoods are set up to be ruined. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, another interesting thing was the Italian word quaranta. Uh, it means 40, and it was uh, it's our modern-day word for uh, quarantine, quaranta. It's uh, for quarantine. Uh, and this was because in Venice, they made the ships dock in the harbor for 40, day, for 40 days to make sure that they didn't carry the disease. So that's a little interesting thing there, too, as well. I never knew that. I never knew it came from that. I, 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 knew, I understood that it had like that prefix, but I had no idea why. Yeah, there you go. It's in reference to the plague. Oh. Uh, and then not long after it struck Messina, it spread to Marseilles, France, and Tunis, North Africa. So two very, uh, two very far off places, actually. Tunis is not close to, uh, not close to Messina really at all. And then all the way up to France too, from Italy. And that's, that it took, quite the reach and then it uh it made its way to uh rome and florence and then especially through europe's elaborate web of trade routes and then uh by 1348 the black death had actually reached uh paris bordiax leon or leon sorry that's in france and london so london is in britain which uh britain's its own island it made it all the way to uh northern europe and crossed the the english channel that's uh, within a small amount of time, too. That's crazy to think about how fast this plague actually spread. I imagine it would travel by boats. Am I, am I wrong? Uh, yeah, probably. That's why I said uh, like trade routes were probably the easiest way to spread it. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh... That's why, uh, especially Venice, like we were talking about with uh, Quaranta. Uh, Venice was one of the biggest port cities in its day in Italy. So uh, I imagine they... Uh, they suffered really terribly as well yeah i mean 
So, uh, according to a plague doctor from the time, uh, instantaneous death occurs when the aerial spirit escaping from the eyes of the sick man strikes the healthy person, healthy person. Oh my God. Standing near and looking at the sick. So this was like their view of how the disease spread at time, spread at the time. So, uh, they, they thought this was, a the spread through very supernatural means. They didn't understand the whole concept of the of the rats and the fleas and the how trade only made it worse. Uh, they thought it just spread through uh, its death itself, and that uh, after a man died, it immediately went to the next healthy person that was standing nearby. Oh well, yeah. So there's a very lack of general understanding of this too. So that must have that must have like, spread a lot easier as well. Oh yeah, I imagine that definitely made it worse. Since you don't understand it, there's no way that you could really stop it. Yeah. And then, uh, most dangerously, uh, the Black Plague, it could actually spread through the air as well. And, uh, even airborne disease. Yeah, it was a, it was airborne too. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, there's no way from stopping an airborne disease, really. And then, uh, even the rational minds of Europe, uh, like the scientists and, uh, people who were developing scientific processes and, uh, rational comprehension, they, they, couldn't even understand it as either. Wow. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. Uh, and then on top of that, doctors use very crude and unsophisticated techniques such as bloodletting and boil lancing, as well as superstitious practices such as the burning of herbs and bathing in rose water or vinegar. So uh, they try to cure this disease, but not in very uh, not in very developed ways. Uh, bloodletting is actually how George Washington died. I'll tell you guys that. Uh, his doctors, uh, he Washington had the disease, and they tried to tried to bloodlet it out of him. Where you, uh, it's like you let the blood flow out of the person until the disease leaves their body. It's not a very good practice. <laughs> no, I can, didn't they also use like uh, like wouldn't they place like insects under your skin and expect them to eat the disease? I don't remember hearing about that, but I want to doubt it. And that'd be, oh, that'd be disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like it's a practice like with, and amputating as well was very common as well, right? Um, yeah. Amputation, yeah. If there was a, if there was an infected part, they'd probably just cut it off. I know they definitely did that during the Civil War, so they probably definitely did it earlier than that as well. Yeah. And what's uh, what's boil lancing? I think that's just uh like either hot water that they like pour on you or uh just like trying to boil the the bulbos off wow that sounds horrible <laughs> <laughs> i would hate these doctors dude i hate doctors today i would never trust these doctors back then <laughs> honestly i think you'd have a better chance of surviving without any uh doctors interfering yeah that's what i'm worried about i think the doctors only actually made it worse no, I don't think, actually. I know they did. <laughs> you know, they're for sure they did. Uh, most of these practices were, uh, get this, very unsanitary and only made the situation worse. Uh, some doctors, they, they would actually even refuse to see patients and priests refused to administer last rites because they also feared getting the disease themselves. Wow. So some doctors didn't even want to help people, and the, the priests were like, nope, go away. Sorry, I don't want to get this. <laughs> Jeez, that's terrible. Shows you how much uh, we love each other. <laughs> tons of people, uh, actually, tons of people tried to flee the cities for the countryside to get away from the disease. And uh, shopkeepers would close their stores, and people would be leave behind their loved ones who were dying of the disease. That's terrible. Oh Sorry, God. Grammy, I don't want to die either. Bye. Good luck. <laughs> Uh, houses would empty, and once thriving towns would all but disappear. So these entire times would just wipe off the map. And uh, Bosatio wrote that, uh, thus doing each thought to secure immunity for himself. So it was uh, everybody for themselves, pretty much, back then. 
And then uh, many religious people thought this was a result of God's punishment and his retribution for sins such as greed, blasphemy, heresy, forn fornication, sorry, and uh, and worldliness. So these uh, these were very common themes back then, uh, very common sins that people would do. So they, they thought God was mad at them because of these reasons. And uh, there were some people that they thought that the only way to stop this disease was to please God and uh, purge their sins that they did like these. And uh, they would actually uh, purge communities of heretics and troublemakers, and they would massacre thousands of Jews in 1348 and 1349 because, you know, Jews are the targets of racist people, especially uh, Hitler, right? <laughs> Wow, yeah, I mean, anti-Semitism is way happened was a was a common occurrence way before Hitler. Oh yeah, no, uh, they did this way back in the medieval times as well. Well, what you know is also kind of ironic because uh, Judaism is very much the foundation for Christianity. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean. So it's like killing your own people. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, these people had no understanding of what was going on. I mean, they they, they found an outlet with racism and anti-Semitism. was just a horrible, horrible time to be alive. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, so they'd, uh, they'd kill other people, but then there were uh, other groups of people that would uh, try to tame their own souls. And this would uh, especially be present in the, the flagellants, which were uh, a society back then that tried to stop the disease by cleaning their own souls um and this is how the the flagellants did their did their stuff uh for 33 and a half days of fl the flagellants would beat themselves and one another with heavy leather straps that were studded with sharp pieces of metal they would repeat this ritual three times a day before moving on to the next town and beginning the process over again Common sense oh. suggests that if you're dying from a disease, this would only make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm going to stop the disease by beating myself. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm sure these people had their reasons, but it just doesn't make much sense to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm sure nothing made sense in their time. Yeah. And then, uh, although physically painful, the movement provided comfort to people who felt powerless in the face of terrible tragedy. So they, they had their reasons for doing this, too. They weren't just completely insane. I think they were a little bit, at least. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but this was a way to cope with uh, the terrible tragedy that was going on. It was, uh, it was their way of communicating with God and uh, expressing their, um, their how sorry they were that the disease was spreading and uh, sorry that they had committing had committed these sins, which they thought had made God angry to spread this plague. So by the early 1350s, the black plague had slowly dissolved out, but reappeared every few generations for centuries. It is, uh, it's actually still around today, but in small strands and uh, with modern sanitation and public health practices, it's really unlikely that you'd die from it. Uh, no, the impacts have been greatly mitigated, if not completely eliminated. Now, this disease, was it a virus or was it a uh, bacteria? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not a very good science guy, so I'm actually I, not sure. <laughs> I believe I believe it was a bacteria. So if you were to get it now, that we have treatments and antibacteria, though, you would be able to... Uh, find it but back then they had nothing they had nothing of the sort like a virus or bacteria all the same i'm sure they would all die from it because they had no medical uh, practice no proper medical practice oh yeah modern uh, modern medicine has definitely greatly mitigated this and uh with with the stuff that we have today it's very unlikely that you'd die from it but yeah back then they didn't have many methods that they that they could use to fight it. So it may not be bad now, but because they didn't have the practices back then, it was definitely worse back then. Yeah. All right. That's the Black Plague. Uh, now let's get into uh, the Plague of Smallpox, which are uh, smallpox have been around for uh, since the beginning of humanity, but it really started with. Uh, when it start, really started in the age of exploration when uh, people went over to the Americas. 
So let's talk about that. All right, here we go. The plague of smallpox. So this one's pretty interesting. This really started with uh, the age of exploration when uh, Europeans began colonizing other parts of the world. And uh, the smallpox, actually, the disease itself was really started uh, around 12,000 years ago. So much, much earlier, uh, much earlier than it would uh, start affecting the Native American tribes. Uh, 12,000 years ago, it, uh, it ravaged early agricultural settlement, settlements, but the disease itself wouldn't show its true wrath until the age of exploration. Uh, the smallpox affected 30% of the European population, but killed off almost 90% of the Native American population. Oh my god, 90%. Yeah. So nine out of ten people were bound to get this disease if you're a Native American. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Well, because they had no immunity to uh, to stop it from spreading. Their bodies wow. had no way of uh, fighting off against the disease. People often uh, credit the conquering and development of the Spanish colonization in the Americas to their military might, their superior technology, or advanced knowledge over the tribes. But really, the disease of smallpox would play a very important role as well in conquering these peoples. There were uh, entire cities and, uh, or I shouldn't say cities, I should say uh, there were entire uh, settlements that were completely wiped out before some of the Europeans even got there just from the plague of smallpox. Uh, in the years following the European invasion, approximately 20 million people may have died or up to 95% of the population in the Americas. So 90% of the Native American population, but 95% in the Americas alone. Wow. Um, and then a little background on the smallpox. Smallpox was a viral infection entering the body through the nose or throat, and it would travel to the lungs where it multiplied and spread to the lymphatic system. And then within a few days, large pustules, I, I don't know if I saw that right, uh, would begin to appear all over the victim's skin. By the end of 12 days, the victim would either die or live, depending on his luck, an immune system, and most of these Native Americans would die. So uh, it, had, uh, it had bumps that would spread across the skin, very similar to uh, the Black Plague and Justinian's Plague. And then uh, I found this kind of interesting. It would enter through the nose or the throat, so it wouldn't even really enter through, uh, enter through touch because uh, it was a viral infection. And it would uh, it would travel to the lungs, and uh, geez, all these large pustules were like bumps that would appear all over the skin. Can't even imagine. It's like a uh, like chicken pox, but ten times worse. Wow. And then uh, twelve days too. That was interesting. That's like a uh, two weeks to live or die, depending on your luck. And uh, as well, and the as, luck was not well. Yeah, not most good. of the most of the Native American luck was not very high. <laughs> You got it. It's just getting ready for your death, pretty much, I assume. Yeah, that's terrible. Couldn't even imagine. And then uh, very similar to uh, the Black Plague, like we were talking about, the disease would spread through blisters. And uh, if these got punctured, it would uh, it would only make it even more highly infectious. And it would, uh, it would project the disease to other parts of the body. And uh, fresh smallpox particles... Uh, were projected into the air and onto surrounding surfaces, such as somebody else's skin. Uh, the disease couldn't spread, however, with without close contact with uh, humans. So this killed off 95% of the Indian population, but it only spread by them uh, by very close human contact. So uh, it makes you wonder uh, how this disease uh made its way through the population if uh it could only spread through close contact like the the black plague could uh it was airborne it could move to uh pretty much wherever it wanted because it was it was in the air but uh, yeah. this one could only spread through contact but yet it still killed off 90 percent of the or yeah sorry 95 percent of the native american population so that's crazy i imagine since all these um all their villages and systems are all set up so close to each other and like they have rituals and stuff like that i assume would allow the disease to spread fairly quickly 
Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, is because they have all these close-knit communities. Everybody's so close to each other. And uh, I think especially since uh, loved ones would be around the people that were dying, I think that that definitely didn't help and probably made it worse too. Or uh, you were you were comfort, comforting your your husband or your or your child, and uh, you ultimately trying to do so uh, only make it worse for yourself and spread it to yourself. Yeah, and then you spread it to more people, and just the cycle just continues onwards. Jeez. So with each epidemic eruption, some people would survive, and they would acquire antibodies and immunities, which would then be passed down to the next generation. Uh, but over time, and because of this process, the population of Europe would gain increased immunity to the disease. So this is how really the Europeans became became immune to it. It's because uh, 12,000 years ago, uh, it, it had started and uh, it had gone through their system. So by the time uh, of the age of exploration, the Europeans were all pretty much but immune to it. But uh, the people in the New World cannot say the same thing. And so it's like it's all starting over again. Once uh, the smallpox plague reaches the New World, the Native Americans have to build up an immunity to it. And this would not take a take a small amount of time like i was saying uh this started in europe uh, twelve thousand years ago it would take quite a bit along quite a bit of time for them to get used to it uh like i was saying the people of the new world had no prior history or immunity against the germs so this was really why it was so devastating um smallpox arrived on the American continent in 1520 from a Spanish ship sailing from Cuba that carried an infected African slave. And as soon as a party landed in Mexico, the infection began a deadly voyage through the continent. So it really started uh, with this African slaves in Africa. And that's how it started spreading to the Native American population. And uh, interesting, interestingly enough, even before the arrival of Pizarro in South America, conquered the Inca. We talked about him in a, a previous episode. Uh, they were already design, dying of this disease, and it only made it con his conquest easier. So uh, we were talking about the small amount of soldiers that these conquistadors have when, had when they were conquering the tribe. And uh, yes, it was partly due to uh, the Native American technology, which wasn't as good as European technology. But it was also because uh, this disease was spreading through the Indian population. So they were both trying to fight off the Spanish and the disease at the same time. So it really didn't work out well for them. Wow, so they were already weakened. So they just went up and claimed their prize, basically. Yeah, pretty much, in a sense. Um, there's even evidence that suggests uh, British colonists in the 1700s would give uh, Native Americans smallpox infected blankets. So that's really cool. Jeez. Uh, here you go. Here you go, Mohawks. Uh, you want to you wanna warm up a little bit? Uh, this winter is pretty cold. Here's a blanket. And this was a purposeful event, right? Yeah. So this was a purposeful biological warfare. So uh, I really debate if the Mongols meant to uh, spread the disease like we talked about them. And uh, I wonder if they just sent the bodies over because of how disgusting they were. But uh, this was definitely on purpose. They, they were definitely, definitely cruel and definitely doing this on purpose. Wow. Jesus. So, uh, so, so do you know who uh, organized this event? Was it like uh, European leaders wanted to conquer the Native Americans without having to use violence? That's probably the basis of it. I think really with uh, their colonization efforts, they probably caught on how bad the smallpox plague was on these Indians. They, they probably used it to their advantage so that they could colonize these areas. So by 1713, the smallpox epidemic, or uh, sorry, a 1713 smallpox epidemic in the Cape of Good Hope destroyed the South African Khoisan people. And uh, it was it weakened them in their resistance against the process of colonization. So uh, not only was this happening in the Americas and the New World, but this was also happening happening uh, with other tribes in other parts of the world, like South Africa, and we'll talk about uh, in uh, in Australia and in New Zealand and uh, in these far off places. It, it was happening just as bad as well. It wasn't just in the Americas that they were doing this. Yeah. 
Uh, like I was saying, uh, European germs also wreaked havoc on the Aboriginal communities of Australia and New, New Zealand. And uh, this really helped the Europeans in their colonization of these remote parts, parts of the world. Mortality rates uh, resulting from the smallpox range. Uh, and here's some of statistics for you. Uh, the smallpox range was 38.5% uh, for the Aztecs. So this is like uh, the people that were infected. 38.5 for the Aztec, 50% for the Pegan, Huron, Catabois, Cherokee, and Iroquois, 66% for the Omaha and Blackfeet, 90% for the Mandan, and 100% for the Toyani. And uh, these are only some of the tribes that were affected in the Americas. 100% for the Taino? So they were wiped out entirely by this disease. Yeah, they were gone. <laughs> wow. They didn't survive. Incredible. Thanks. So if you were... So, if you were uh, of the Taino tribe, you were just, is it guaranteed that you were going to die if you contracted this disease? Yeah, pretty much. And, and it was guaranteed that you will contract this disease, because they're 100% wiped out. Jeez. That is insane. That's terrible. And uh, these other tribes, too. Some of these other statistics aren't very good as well. Like 90% uh, for the Mandan. Wow. That's almost 100% like the Taino, too. Yeah, there's really not a lot of not a lot that the Europeans had to do in order to conquer these civilizations when the plague was already conquering them. Yeah, I know you'll talk about the Spanish flu and that killed out the a fourth of the population of the world. And uh, I know. these stats are higher for uh, these for these Indian groups in general. I know. Wow. Jeez. So for these guys, these were the deadliest thing that had ever happened to them in their history. Oh yeah, easily. All right, so uh, let's talk about some of the Native American views of this. So many Native American tribes attributed the disease to punishment from the gods, and it was thought to be a personification of the bad spirit or punishment by the master of life. And uh, this is why they thought it. And uh, try to control yourself here. Uh, they thought it was because of the mistreatment of animals or other people or punishments for violations of tribal laws, such as sexual intercourse in the cornfields, and village-wide violations. Okay, go on. All right, sorry. And uh, according to traditional Cherokee knowledge, animals created the disease to protect themselves against humans. That's interesting. And then uh, the Quantum of Vancouver described a dragon that lived in a swamp and breathed upon children, and his breath caused sores to break out. And they burned with the heat, and they died to feed this monster. And so the village was deserted, and it would never again... And uh, never again would they live on that spot. Jeez. It was evil some dragon. In, uh, some interest, interesting explanations for this disease. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You like the, the sexual intercourse in the cornfield? <laughs> in the cornfield. <laughs> Ew, that's what they eat. <laughs> <laughs> I no wonder the disease spread. Sorry, you uh, you got this disease because you had sex in the cornfield, bad boy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, if it gets in their food, I mean, then it's just gonna transfer even more. Oh God, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, actually, on that topic, uh, you hear uh, a lot of mythology, and uh, you hear a lot of myth and legends with uh, ancient civilizations. Well, uh, a lot of these myths and legends were actually founded in, uh, in reality. A lot of them have uh, themes in them that are actually part of uh, the part of truth and that are actual fact. So it's interesting. Like you were saying, uh, it probably spread in the cornfield because that was their, uh, that was their food that they were eating. And uh, animals created disease to protect themselves against human. They could have probably easily spread it to animals. And these animals, if they ate them, uh, they probably could have got it as well. 
So there's a uh, there's yeah. fact in some of these uh, myths and legends that they had. So I, yeah, I, I would imagine that they would they would recognize maybe an animal suffering from the disease and ha- passing it on to humans. So maybe that's what they assumed by it. Yeah, that's what I think. So between fifteen and sixteen hundred. Uh, Native American tribes attempted to treat the disease by, uh, and I'll tell you some of these methods, uh, they were a lot better than European methods easily. Uh, they would try uh, steaming willow bark to act as an uh, analgesic. God, I can't talk. Uh, they would use uh, conifer oils as decongestants. They would use uh, bear oil as a natural emetic. And uh, tribal leaders would actually educate their tribes on not to travel to infected areas. And then uh, also by 1782, they would use use both indigenous and European medical techniques. So I found this interesting because uh, these Native Americans were a lot smarter than uh, some of the Europeans during the Black Plague and other diseases like that. They used, uh, I think, really, these methods are, uh, they had very sound practice. And uh, even if it didn't help, they... uh, they had good intentions with it, and they were actually thinking about it. They were using these uh, these oils that they knew had medical properties and stuff. So uh, it was really interesting uh, that the way they went about trying to cure this disease. I mean, yeah, I mean, they were they, they approached it with a more um, more more medically centered approach, but unfortunately, that wasn't enough because even with the help of, of curing their symptoms, the the body just would, could not fight it off. Even if they could uh, lengthen their lifespan, they just could not stop it overall. Yeah, I, I do think that some of this stuff actually did help. But, yeah, because they didn't have the immunity against it, and ultimately uh, they probably couldn't stop it. So in the early 1800s, the Spanish crown would send vaccinations to the colonial clergymen to stop the disease. And a man by the name of Edward Jenner, actually, he created a program that vaccinated more than 2,000 individuals in Cartagena de Indias, 197,000 in Peru, and 20,000 in the Philippines. So this man really did a, he did a lot in trying to vaccinate the people. And uh, the Europeans, as they're, uh, as they're starting to be more friendly with these tribes, and if they, as they've uh, colonized these remote part of the world, uh, they actually start helping these Indians, which uh, I think is good. And uh, it had uh, it had good natures and good intentions, and uh, and the United States uh, we would actually help too in uh, 1798 to 1799 when uh, President Thomas Jefferson uh, he started using additional vaccination programs. So we did help these Indians, even though we gave them smallpox blankets in the beginning. We did uh, we made some vaccinations to help them out and to cure against this disease. So uh, sometimes uh, sometimes humans can be good. <laughs> I mean. I'm sure it didn't make up for the the smallpox blankets, but it is a good start. Oh yeah, that's at least it's something. Yeah. Uh, as time progressed and interactions with Europeans increased, uh, indigenous knowledge of the disease increased, and uh, oh sorry, as uh, both European and uh, indigenous knowledge increased about the disease, uh, this enabled them to avoid the disease as effectively as possible, and uh, developing techniques as early. As they did, and uh, working to stop the disease, the Native Americans really uh, they were finally able to get rid of this disease. So uh, the Native Americans, they used uh, they sound medical practices, at least in their mind. Uh, they were using their head, and they were trying to think this through, and they were trying to get rid of it. And then uh, the Europeans finally help, and they step in, and uh, they're finally able to get rid of it. Like the, the Black Plague is still around today, even uh, with medical practices that uh, can stop it. But uh, because Europe really... They kind of just uh, push through it. That's because it's still around today. Wow. So, kudos to the Native American tribes for for their scientific work, even if it uh, involves some myths and legends. And uh, they still used uh, interesting medical medical practices that probably would have helped if uh, they had a an immune system against the disease. So it's really pretty interesting. I mean, and yes, these are horrible, horrible events, but they were they were necessary for history in order to uh, increase medical practice and really advance technology. Yeah. So there's always a I think there's always a good side to any bad situation. And that's 
That's a good side to these plagues, as we did develop better medical techniques to start conquering them and to start dealing with them. And uh, especially today, we'll talk about this later, but uh, with, uh, with the coronavirus, uh, with if we didn't have the methods that we've developed over time, the coronavirus would probably be 10 times worse as well. Yeah, and um, yeah, we're we're much more educated on uh, how to survive. But we'll we'll get more more into the coronavirus and uh, other the other uh, plagues uh, next episode. Yep, we're gonna we're gonna have to cut it off for today. We are uh, we're just about at our hour limit, but uh, gonna wrap things up here in a sec. All right, guys, we'll wrap up part one of our epidemics episode. And then next time we'll uh, we'll do part two, and uh, I think you guys will like that one probably more because it has some more relevance to today. And uh, even if it's not history now, it definitely will be down the road. Yesterday was history, so all right. Uh, as usual, I would like to give a shout out to uh, our anchor podcasting service. That has been a miracle in making this episode. Uh, it's been a really great source, and if you guys want to make your own podcast. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, more importantly, I'd like to give a shout out to you guys uh, as my listeners as we continue to embark on this podcast. And uh, especially to all of you that have liked the Facebook page and who have interacted with it and uh, who have watched my live stream that we did with uh, the Spanish treasure fleet. I think that one pretty interesting. And uh, I just ask that you, uh, if you guys have some friends or some family who would also like the podcast, that you recommend it to them as well so we can keep growing our community and so we can keep growing the podcast. All right, so uh, I'd like to give a special shout-out to some of the people who have uh, liked the podcast recently. And uh, I'll say your names. All right, so here we go. Uh, shout-out to uh, Zebulon Dean, Lauren Harris, Judy Payne, Reagan Rudy, Dave Wakestone, and Shane Paul. Uh, all new people who have uh, liked and subscribed to our podcast on Facebook. And uh, thank you guys for that. We uh, we really can't make the podcast without your support because if we didn't have any listeners, uh, there'd be no point in making the podcast. So we, uh, yeah, thank you very much, guys, for uh, tuning in. Yeah, we really thank you guys for that. And then, uh, like I said, if you guys leave a comment or a review, I would uh, I would shout you out in the next episode. And we got uh, we got one person who did that, and I'd like to give a shout out to them. But. Uh, a reminder to do that as well. Uh, you can keep doing that. You can do whatever you want. If you have any questions or uh, you want to write us a review, uh, don't feel uh, feel free. Don't hesitate. Uh, we enjoy seeing your guys's interactions on the on the Facebook page, and we could really use it too. And uh, if you guys have a topic that you uh, you want to hear about or you want us to do an episode on, just let us know, and we could probably do it for you guys. It's all based on you guys because you're our listeners, and uh, we need you guys. So, uh, Cindy Dean, uh, she left a comment, and uh, she also wrote a review, too. And I'll, I'll talk about that. So, uh, this was her review that she wrote for us. You don't need to be a history buff. These are very interesting and engaging topics for all to enjoy. And so, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, I'm, I'm a history buff, for sure. But uh, I'm glad that uh, it can make sense to, uh, to anybody and that we can... Uh, engage whoever with whoever just wants to hear something interesting about our past and that's that's what i wanted and uh then she also asked us if we'd want to consider doing an episode on confederate gold and uh actually i think when we're done with the pandemic episode we might just do that i think that actually be a really interesting topic to do there's a there's a lot of conspiracy in american history and especially during the civil war that a lot of people don't know about and uh, it's some really interesting stuff that we could get into with that. All right. And then uh, our episode that we filmed on the part two of the conquistadors and the Spanish treasure fleet has reached almost, or sorry, has almost reached 150, 150 views. Uh, that's really amazing, guys. Uh, that's more people than we have subscribed to the Facebook page. So that's awesome to see that so many people were able to tune into that and uh, listen to that conversation. And I hope it was a little bit more interesting because you could actually uh, you could see my face and you could uh, can interact with me and put a comment on there as I was talking and going through the through the podcast. And uh, for those who saw the live stream, it's also up on our uh, our, pod our Spotify 
platform as well as our other podcast platform. So however you're watching this or listening to this, uh, you can go check it out over there as well. So uh, really, thank you guys for all your support with that. All right, and uh, you have anything before we conclude part one of the Pandemics episode, Ian? Uh, I do not, but uh, tune in uh, tune in for our next episode where we're talking about the coronavirus and the Spanish flu. These are very interesting topics, and uh, they um, they both go to, go together really nicely. Yeah. Other than that, thank you guys, and uh, have a nice week. Yep. Have a nice week, guys. Carpe diem. <laughs>